Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Psalm 46 is where we are. We are continuing to journey through. Uh, that's a hokey way of saying it. We are continuing to study through the book of Psalms. Now, we are right here in the 40s. We are middle-aged, okay? And sometimes when you get to the 40s, around in the book of Psalms, you start to feel middle-aged. But we're not going to give up. We shall press on through the book of Psalms because we have to. So um, tonight we're in the 46th chapter, and we are reading one of, I think, one of the most beautiful Psalms that has been written. And so let us pray. And then we will get into our study. Lord, we thank you for this night. Thank you that we can come together and study your word together. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to um, understand what it's saying. Lord, to take your word seriously, to take it to heart, and Lord, to apply it to our life. Your word tells us that you want us to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Um, Lord, we don't want to be just smarter sinners with more information about the Bible, but Lord, we want the word of God to transform our hearts and to make us more like you. And so God, we pray right now, you soften our hearts to hear from you and God, we would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us and, and, um, convict where we need conviction, strengthen us where we need strength, Lord, I encourage us, God, you know what we're going through and what we're dealing with. And so Lord, those that need that, I pray that your spirit would minister tonight and, um, would work in and through, uh, your word tonight in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 46. Psalm 46, it says, it reads to the chief musician, a Psalm of the sons of Korah, a song of Alamoth. Sounds like a character from Lord of the Rings. Alamoth. Um, verse one, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear even though the earth is removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn, and nations rage, the kingdoms are moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And come, behold, the works of the Lord, who has made desolation to the earth, who makes war cease to the end of the earth, who breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, we, um, we kind of settled last week as to who the sons of Korah were. Uh, they were the sons of Korah, who was the son of Kohath, or the Kohathites. Uh, their family was there at the rebellion in Numbers chapter 26, where they came against Moses. And remember, they, they didn't agree with some of the things that Moses was doing in leadership. They thought that they should be able to hear from God and speak for God. And so um, the earth opened up and swallowed them. 
swallowed them all. And uh, the sons of Korah were spared in that instance, and they became some of the chief musicians and chief songwriters of Israel. Now, the book of Psalms, if you remember, it is, um, it is the compilation of different songs that Israel would, would sing. It would be like the hymnal of Israel. It was um, it's split into five different volumes, um, and each volume mirrors the same theme as the first five books of the Bible. So volume one is called Genesis. Volume two is, you get the hint. Uh, volume five starts in Psalm 107 and goes to the end of Psalms, and that one's called Deuteronomy. And each one deals with the same subject of who God is in the beginning, you know, all, all that stuff. Same, it kind of shares and mirrors those, those um, same themes, which is fascinating. Like the Bible is really cool when you look at it, not just as um, like a book of rules, but if, if you look at it from a literature, lit, literature, thank you, as a literary work, it's actually like inspired. Like, this is not just by accident. This is incredibly the way that it's woven together and pieced together. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. The book of Psalms is compiled by who? Who put all these together? Ezra. Thank you. Gosh, I was like going to quit right on the spot. Ezra is the one who compiled the book of Psalms. Who knows what the setting of Psalms is? Where does it fit? Or what is the, the um, atmosphere of the book of Psalms? Yes, that is the theme. But where does, what Old Testament book does it fit into? There's two of them. What? Gosh, Mitch, I'm so happy right now. First and second Samuel. That's where the Psalms fit in. Very good. Okay, that's, that's the setting of the book of Psalms. So as we come to the 46th Psalm tonight... We have that as our setting. We have the understanding that this is written in, in a way of prayer and praise and, and, and glory unto God for what he's doing in the nation of Israel. And what do they begin to praise God for? That God is our refuge and he is our strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge, our help in trouble. We need to understand that the psalmist is really, what he's really saying, he's talking about Refuge. It's, it's not a hiding place in a game, okay? It's not like, oh, we're playing a game and I'm going to go hide and, and then you come find me. It's not finding a hiding place in a game. He's talking about finding a hiding place in the middle of war and an attack. He's like, that, that's the setting here, that I'm trying to find a, a place to hide because of the, the onslaught of attack against me. And the reason for a refuge or a hiding place for strength and our help is because of trouble. Look what he says. He is a very, help, a very present help in trouble. So I'm running to him because I'm in trouble. There's something coming against me. There's, there's chaos all around me. It's a place of safety, peace in the middle of complete chaos. Um, and so when we are being attacked, right, because we also go through spiritual attack, he is our hiding place. He is our source. He is our strength. He is, um, he is our help when I'm being shot at with the arrows of the enemy, the Bible tells me. Like, this is where I go to in times of trouble. 
God's not just our refuge in times when everything's going well, but it's where we run to to find shade amidst the onslaught of the heat of, of trial. Like that's where we run to. It's, it's, this is who our God is. And that's what they're giving him praise for. That this is who God is by his very nature. Notice, what did they say? This is who God is, not just to us, but he is this to humanity. This is who God is. By his very nature, God is a savior. He is the one who rescues. It's wonderful. And let's not be, we don't need, um, ah, we need not be confused. Okay? We need to understand that there is a spiritual battle going on. Okay? And we don't need to over-spiritualize it in that everything is a spiritual battle. Okay? So if, <laughs> let me explain. Okay? You get a nail in your tire on your way to church and you're like, it's the devil. It's the devil. I knew it. <laughs> He's after me today. No, sometimes stuff just happens to you, right? Like, not everything is the devil. Not every time you get sick, is it the devil? Not every time that something happens around the world, is it the devil? Like, um, you remember when Katrina happened and they're like, it's the judgment of God. It's the judgment of God. And you're like, it's hurricane season. This happens all the time. Like this is, it's not necessarily the judgment of God coming against the people of Louisiana. Like, and I think we love to make it into, was it the devil? If you look right into the eye of the storm, it had horns. You're like, no, calm down. So not everything, sorry, I like, I don't know why I do the voice every time. It just sounds like it should become, you need deliverance tonight. Raise your hand, I see that hand. You know, it's like, I've been to churches like that. It's just so fun. Super, super weird. And not to say that things aren't a spiritual battle. Guys, sometimes we, we're not aware of what's actually going on, too. Right? Not, so there is a balance. And not a balance, but there is a middle line where the devil loves to swing us on this pendulum. Where either we're hyper-spiritual to everything and we're freaking out because we're like the devil's after me or you swing it to the other side of like everything there's no spiritual battle going on so we need to understand and not be confused there is a spiritual battle that takes place there is a war that is going on outside of this dimension and realm there is a spiritual realm and within that there is a battle for us there's a battle going on and there has been since the beginning, uh, since the fall of the devil, right? Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. He's like, understand that there's a spiritual battle. There's, so, there's more going on then we can perceive with just flesh and blood, with our own eyes. There's, there's something beyond this realm. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, he says, Therefore, in light of this war, in light of this battle, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done, having done all to stand firm. He says, there's actually armor that we put on as Christians. There's the helmet of salvation. There's the, the breastplate of righteousness. There's the belt of truth. There's the sword of the spirit. There's the shield of faith. There's the shoes 
the gospel of peace, okay? So the, the, the book of Ephesians lays these things out. Now, now, not to get super children's ministry on us and like, and, and like we have spiritual armor and we're fighting the devil with that. <laughs> what is Paul doing? Paul's on, like, Paul's on lockdown. Paul is chained to a Roman guard and, and this guy who's physically keeping him a prisoner, he looks at him and says, this is perfect. I need to guard my head with my own, like with the truth of salvation. Like I need to guard my mind because one of the ways that we experience spiritual warfare is not just through the nail in your tire or the fact that someone sneezed on your bagel. That's not it. You experience it. I experience it. You experience it through the lies of the devil. He will whisper these little lies to you and you start believing them. The worst part is, is that somehow they sound like it's in your own voice. And somehow he influences our, our, uh, through a lie that he will tell and we begin to believe it. And that's what attacks our mind. And so the, the writer, uh, Paul tells us, we need to guard our minds against the, the lies of the devil. What's the best way to guard against lies? So know the truth. So know the truth. To know what the Bible says about you. To know what the Bible says about God. That's the best guard against lies, right? Uh, you guys have heard the analogy, right, um, of uh, counterfeit bills. Like they don't study counterfeits. They study the real thing. Because the more they are familiar with the real thing, they can spot a counterfeit like that. It's not that they stutter, study all the lies and, and they know the truth. And by knowing the truth, that helps them to identify the lie the best. And so for us as Christians too, man, we need to know what the Bible says. That's why we do Bible study. It's not because I'm bored. I need something to do. And I was like, man, I just really wish I had someone to talk to. So we're going to do a Bible study. <laughs> right? That's dumb. We, we encourage you to read your Bible. We encourage you to come to church. We encourage each other to gather together. Why? Because there's a real battle that comes against us. And the devil lies to us. So we need to gather together around the truth. Um, and I feel like we've labored that point enough. Right? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. This is available to anyone who would receive it and take it up. But it has to be applied uh, we need to apply it ourselves. It's great to know that the Lord is my refuge, but the flip side of that, right? We can read that God is my refuge and strength. But the flip side of that is what? There is trouble all around. Why does God need to be my refuge and why does God need to be my strength? Because there is an onslaught of war going on and I am beaten down and tired from it, right? That's, that's the flip side. That's the reality of it. I'm being attacked. Proverbs 18, verse 10 through 11, it says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. So the proverb is this, that the name of the Lord is this strong, fortified, meaning it's, it's this um, impenetrable force that no one can get through, and the righteous run to it. The truth of that is awesome. Like God is this fortified city, but the flip side is that is that you are being attacked, and so you have to run to it. You got to run there. You got to go there, and to find protection, to find peace um, from the Lord. It's a wonderful truth, but we have to run to it because I'm in battle. That's why Paul told Timothy, "You must endure hardship as a good soldier," right? The Bible points out that we are soldiers for Jesus Christ. Now, don't take this to a weird place either, 
okay, where we get militant towards each other. Like, you're a soldier, suck it up. And like, we have no compassion. And we're like, drop and give me 20. I saw what you looked at. And you're like, let's calm down. Like about, this is imagery in which Paul is trying to use. It doesn't mean you're a literal soldier that marches. But what he's saying, like a soldier, we march to the orders of our commander, who is God. We need to be um, focused at the task at hand. You can't mess around like as a soldier, like in war, you can't goof around despite what the movies show us, right? You, it's a serious thing. There's bullets, there's Charlie, you know, like Vietnam War. You know? There's bad stuff, like there's an enemy that they're trying to fight. Like, um, and so we gotta be watchful. You gotta understand of what's around us. Um, and so we can't get tangled up in the things of this life. We need to f- be focused on the mission at hand. I don't know if you guys were with us when we studied the whole Missio Christi thing, like the mission of Christ. What is the mission of Christ? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he, he invites us into that mission with him. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're a part of. That's the goal. That's the mission at hand is to see people go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And there is a battle over that major one. That's why in 1 Peter, he wrote this in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Meaning he looks around like a general who studies his enemy to find the weak spot to attack and to defeat. Um, If you remember the story of Joseph where he's there in Potiphar's house, and he's, he's like serving the Lord with gladness, even though he's a slave. And then Potiphar's wife comes, right? And the, the, the wording is that daily, daily, she would try to seduce him every single day. Every day. And Joseph wasn't having it. Like just no, every day. No, 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 absolutely not. No. Every day, guys, she would come and tell him, lie with me, lie with me. Every day as a slave, like he has no rights of his own. And she's like, you're my slave. You're going to do what I tell you to. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. Isn't that how the devil works? Daily, he comes at you daily, just trying to find that weak spot. And he's like, I'm going to keep coming and I'm going to keep coming. And I'm going to keep coming until finally I find you at your weakest point And boom, I'm going to get you. Right? That's the attack that we experience. That's what's going on. There's, there's, the devil is prowling around trying to find that weak spot. And so what do we do? We run to the Lord, who is our strength. When, when you're being attacked, the, the dumbest thing to do is be like, I can do it on my own. Watch me fight the devil. Like, <laughs> dumb, no. No, like he's smarter than you. And um, he's wily. So like run to the Lord. Who will fight for you, the Bible says. You don't have to take him on by yourself. Um, I know sometimes it's weird talking about the devil and the enemy and the attack and stuff. And people are like, I'm going to have nightmares or whatever. But the reality is this. Like, this is what is going on in the world. Like, there's the power of darkness. If you think that, like, all this stuff in the news and all this stuff going on in Hollywood and all the things that are going on in the world, like, that's the works of darkness that are trying to destroy humanity. They're trying to destroy people's lives. Trying to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. Like, that's what the devil came to do. And so we as the church identify his works. Like, yeah, that's, that's evil. That's wicked. But the intensity of a battle is measured by the value of what is being fought for. So if you're like, man, why am I always like, I feel like I'm just getting beat up. 
feel like it's one thing after another. Guys, the intensity of the battle is measured by the value of what is being fought for. Jesus saw you so valuable that he spilled his own blood to buy you out of sin and death, to pay the price for your sin. He saw you as that valuable. Okay? The most valuable thing in this world is not money, it's not, it's not gold, it's not Bitcoin, it is souls. It's the most valuable thing because that's the only thing. Do you know why it's the most valuable thing? It's the only thing that's eternal in this world. Everything will burn. The only thing that will survive in either hell or heaven is the human soul. It's eternal. So the battles that we're in or that we're facing or, or the spiritual war that we're, we're experiencing, we are in, uh, um, it's for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. It's all about souls. And so as we are engaged in it, we're, our desire is to further the kingdom of God. That's intense. That's intense. There's an intensity because of the value of something. Because when someone who was a captive to the enemy's camp and then set free and brought into the family of God by faith, right? When someone gets saved, they've gone from, from the enemy's camp and his possession, his, his ownership, they've come out of that, freed from that, and been brought into the family of God. The battle doesn't stop, though. Satan will do everything he can to either destroy that life or he'll, he'll, his, his effect, or what he's trying to do, is to keep us from being effective in any other person's life. Right? So, yeah, okay, you win. You're, you're out, of, out of my kind of grasp. But I'm going to make sure that you don't affect anyone else. That's his attitude. That's his desire. Although your eternity is settled as you've come into that faith of Jesus Christ, he is determined to keep you from the life that Jesus came to give us and to stumble away from it. So Jesus said, I come to give you life and that more abundantly. And the devil says, I have come to kill your life, to destroy your life, and to steal the life that Jesus offers from you. Yeah, sure, go to heaven, but you're not going to have any of the joy of life. Right? That's his desire. And to keep us from affecting others for the glory of God and for the gospel. And we have to have a sense. This is, I think, a really important point is that we have to have the sense that there is something much bigger than our feelings and our experience. We are living for something much bigger than our feelings and our experience. It seems like all people care about is what offends them and their feelings, and nothing else is bigger than that. The kingdom of God is much bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. We have to have a sense that we're living for something bigger than just what we're going through and what we're experiencing. I don't know if you were here last night, and um, if you weren't here last night, I encourage you to go back in the archives and listen to that story of, of uh, Brother Joseph, who was a, a, um, he was a prisoner of war uh, in Russia and thrown into a prison camp for believing the gospel. And dude, the guy, the only way he survived is not because he was like, my feelings are hurt and my rights were violated. He was living for something bigger than himself which is the kingdom of God. And he still does at 85. He's not like, oh, poor me. He's like, look what God has done. Like, okay, that's the sense that we need to have as well. Like getting outside of ourselves and realizing that we're living for something much bigger. But the good news is this, okay? If you're like going through the battle, you're like, man, I feel like I'm just being attacked all the time. 
the devil's coming after me or, or like, I just feel like I'm being tripped up. I'm stumbling. I'm failing. Guess what? The good news is, is that we win. Like we win in the end. How many of you have ever, okay, they're picking teams. You remember that when they would pick teams and you're like, oh man, I do not want to be on that kid's team. Please pick me. You're like, Joey, come on. Look at the pythons, Joey. Pick me, dude. Because that team's going down. If I, and I know if I get picked on that team, like it's, it's over. I don't even want to try, right? And you get picked on the bad team and you're like, That's, I'm just going to stand here in the outfield and let stuff happen. I'm not even going to give it a shot because we're going to lose because of all the losers on my team, right? Um, a lot of times we can feel that way. Like, why even try like anymore? I feel like a loser all the time. Guys, you already win. Christ won on the cross. It's defeated. Death, sin, done. Like, it's done. And, and the encouragement is this, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's what Jesus said. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, are gates are an offensive weapon or are they a defensive weapon? Defense. Defense. Like in Braveheart, do you see any of those guys with fences and they're like, freedom! And they're like charging on horses with fences? No, because it's, it's a defensive weapon. You put a fence up around your fortress. So what is he saying? The gates of hell cannot withstand or will not prevail against the church. It's saying that the, the, the church is storming the gates of hell. And the gates won't stop them. That's what the Bible promises us and tells us. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy because you already win. You win. Um, and it will not prevail against the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not because we are like we're so strong or so much better, or so much smarter. It's that we are we are equipped with the power of the gospel, the message of the gospel. And that is the power of God into salvation. Pretty crazy stuff, right? Pretty, not crazy, but like pretty cool. We don't have to be afraid of it, but understand that it's real. Like there's a real battle for you. There's a real reason that that temptation keeps coming up in your life. Like, man, I just can't shake it. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe, but it's also there's a devil who really wants to find that weak spot and he's going to keep coming at you. The Bible tells us that the more you say no to the flesh, the more it dies, right? Just like if you had two dogs and you, <laughs> the one that you feed will live. Just simple science. Like the one that gets the food will continue to live. So whatever you feed, that's what's going to live. If you feed the flesh and you keep saying yes to it, yeah, it's going to live. The flesh is going to continue to live. But the more you say no and you starve it, meaning you don't give in to it, you starve it in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will die down. It's going to continue to have less and less strength over your life. Um, and it's easier said than done, right? But that's why you have accountability. That's why you have people around you that love Jesus and you're like, dude, help. Help me. Like, I cannot stop whatever. And they're like, hey, let's go run to the, let's go run to our hiding place. Not like your clubhouse, but like, let's go. And like, let's go pray together. Let's run to Jesus. Let's find strength in him. Let's pray together. That's how we access it, right? It's not, it's not anything weird or, or crazy. It's just simply walking out our faith in what we know to be true. So verse two, oh shoot, verse two, therefore, 
We will not fear, right? Therefore, whenever you see that word in your Bible, it points you to the immediate context that was said before, right? So this statement of like, God is my refuge and strength, my very present time of help. Therefore, because of that truth, I will not fear, right? Just knowing who God is, not just in my mind theologically, but allowing it to sink into my heart and what I put my faith and trust in. He says that dispels fear. And then he says, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there's a river whose stream shall make glad in the city of God. So <laughs> he describes like things that are so terrifying. Basically, when he gives you these scenarios, if the earth is removed, what does that mean? I have no idea. How can the earth just be removed? But what I think he's saying is if the natural, if the natural order of things changed, the sun didn't rise and gravity stopped working, if everything we counted on suddenly stopped and disappeared, right? All the food that we received suddenly became poisonous. Even if all the, the thing that stops the water from coming beyond where it's supposed to stops doing that and the floods come, right? That's the scenario he's creating here. If the earth be moved and the mountains are picked up and thrown into the seas, he's describing ca catastrophe that we've never really could understand or imagine. And that's the point. It's supposed to be exaggerative, if that's even a word. He's supposed to exaggerate the point here. That if the earth melted, if the sun didn't shine, if all of this, is, if the natural order of things ceases to exist the way that it was supposed to, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge in, in times of trouble. And he is our strength. And so we run to him. Even though that happens, there is a refuge, there is a strength, there is a help, he says. In verse 4, he gives us this picture of peace. There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. It's almost like it jumps into the book of Revelation. The, the psalmist jumps into the future kingdom of God, which we know there's a river that flows from the throne of God. He says, there, even if all this happens, this is where I go. I go into the presence of God, reminding myself that God is in control. He is in total control of everything. God's never out of control. I hope you know that tonight, that God's never at a place where he's like, oh no, Biden's president. <laughs> like everything's just, oh no, like this is such a mess up. Like what angel was in charge of the election? You, fired. Like there's never a point where God is out of control. Okay, so when Christians are freaking out at elections, like, oh no, like, oh, calm down. Don't you think that God, the sovereign one over all things, knows? He's the one who puts it in the mind of Caesar Augustus and says, you're going to give a census. So that the son of man will be born in Bethlehem. Guys, we got nothing to be afraid of. That's the point. If you don't have to be afraid of the devil, what else is there to be scared of? Nothing. Nothing. And, and, and oh. Sometimes, oh, oh, notes are important. They almost went away. Okay, so there's a river that flows. The nations are raging in an uproar. The God, and God speaks and the earth then just melts. God is in control. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob 
This is interesting. Why Jacob? Why not Daniel? Why not David? Why not like why not these guys that we look? Why not Moses? Why Jacob? Do you know what Jacob means? Any Jacobs in the room? There's no Jacobs here tonight, is there? It means supplanter. It means deceiver. God of the deceiver. God of the supplanter. And if there's ever a weirdo in scripture, it's Jacob. If you just read the book of Genesis, like read it in one sitting, just push play on the Bible app and listen to the story of the nation of Israel. His is the most jacked up. It's amazing. Okay? Why does it say the God of Jacob? Because if it was Daniel, we'd be looking up all day long like, I can't measure up to that guy. Right? But Jacob? Okay, cool. Like God showed up for him, he's going to show up for me. Like I'm a, I'm a screw up just like that dude. God of Jacob is our refuge. Verses 8 through 10, he says, how do I receive that help? Okay, so we know this to be true, right? The Bible gives us these, these spiritual truths and this theological points. Like this is who God is and this is what God does. Okay, that's good for us to know. But what action does the Bible call us to then? What are we commanded to do or what are we prescribed to do in times of trouble and when we're experiencing spiritual attack and we're going through temptation and we're struggling? What do we do? Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolation in the earth. First thing he tells us to do, I want you to just stop and behold the works of the Lord. Right? Behold just means to look. Would you look at that? Look at him and look at his works. Look at what God has done. Look at the works of God. Think about the things that God has done in your life and in scripture. If God can help them, if God did a work in Jacob's life, this supplanter, this liar, this creep who had too many wives, like this guy, this guy, then he could do it for me. He can work in my life too. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So as you read God's word, what's happening? Your faith is being built up. If you're like, if God has done this in the past, and like Billy said tonight, God is the same today, yesterday, and forever, then he's going to do it now. He can do it now too. Behold the works of the Lord. Look to Jesus. Look at God. Look at the past in your own life. Just look at your own life. And like, I'm, are you still alive? Yeah. Then God's still on the throne. Like, he's still working through. He still has a plan for your life. God's not done. That's the whole point. Um, verse 10, okay? So to come behold the works of the Lord. He makes war cease, the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. Talking about how God can just war. Yeah, stops it. Verse 10. He also prescribes for us to be still and know that I'm God. I hate being still. My wife, it drives her crazy. Like, I'll just meander around the house, putting around. She calls it putting around. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing stuff. She's like, you're putting around. I'm like, well, she's like, why don't you go sit down? And I'm like, well, if I sit down, you're going to think I'm being lazy. So this is like catch-22 thing. I don't want to get in trouble. Are you sure it's okay if I sit down? She's like, please, you are in my way. And so I go sit down. There's nothing that feels like... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's nothing that like feels more um, irritating that when things are like falling apart around you than to just sit down, like because we want to fix it. 
How do I fix it? How do I make it better? How do I, you know, I've been in on Indeed all day and like nothing's happening. Um, I have filled out every, you know, I've read my Bible for, you know, 26 minutes now and I've prayed for five. So like nothing's happening. Nothing's working. I'm, I've went for a run. I went for a jog, went to the gym twice. Uh, she still hasn't called back. You know, I've, I've done everything like, and, and all this stuff around you is chaos. And what does God say? Why don't you just sit down and be still for a moment? And why don't you try stop, just stop thinking that you're God and know that I am God. Stop trying to make your own way and just why don't you submit to the fact that I'm in control over your life. So the, the encouragement is in the midst of, of chaos, in the midst of, of all these things that are going on, the onslaught of attack from the enemy, what does he say to do? First of all, I want to just, I want to fix my eyes on the Lord and I want to think about his faithfulness. I want to think about his power. I want to think about the past and what God has done and be assured of the fact that God will do something in the future. But also, I want to be still. And I want to know that he's God. Getting alone with the Lord and allowing God to speak to you. Guys, there's something that's so important. I'm not talking about isolation. We're talking about um, solitude. There's two different, that's, there's two different things. Isolation is isolating yourself from people and from God. And you're thinking about yourself. Solitude is stepping away so that you can spend time with the Lord. There's a difference. Solitude has purpose. Isolation is a negative effect or has a negative effect. And so we want to be still and know that God is God. And so we spend time with the Lord thinking, God, I want to know what your plan is. I'm struggling. That's where we spend time with him. That's why Psalm 23, it tells us that he makes us to lie down in green pastures. And then what happens? He restores my soul. So he, he as David is talking about how the Lord is his shepherd, he says, sometimes he makes me just to be still. And as I'm still, he will restore all the cracks in my soul. He brings peace. And stillness, it forces us to come face to face with our faith. Either we believe it or we don't. And, that, and I think it encourages us, like the father who was who told to go home, like he says, Lord, I know you can heal my daughter, or I know you can heal my kid who's sick. And Jesus tells him, if you have faith, it can be done. And he says, I believe but I know there's some areas of my life that have unbelief. Like, Lord, help my unbelief. And stillness will help us to do that. So being still before the Lord and saying, God, I believe, but help the areas where I am doubting and I'm struggling. Um, that's why Psalm 4, 4, it says, Be angry and do not sin, and on your bed reflect in your heart and be still. Meditate. That word reflect is the word meditate. Now, meditation... It's so hip right now. No, uh, meditation is different according to the Bible. There is biblical meditation. Meditation according to, you know, this Taoist Buddhist movement, okay? And it's even creeping into the church that like a lot of times um, these exercises that are happening, this, these are Buddhist, like Buddhist stuff. Breathe in the good and blow out the bad. Like just mm, be cognizant of your body. Stop it, stop it. That's not what stillness is. We're like, mm, just present right here, right now. It's Christian Buddhism. Stop it. That's weird. Okay? What meditation is, is not the emptying of the mind, right? Empty your mind. You're like, but there's this little purple lamp in there and I can't get rid of it. Can that stay? And they're like, sure. 
dripping water in a cave. Like, that's not what the Bible is prescribing. That's Buddhist stuff. That's not, that's not it. Meditation, according to the Bible, is not emptying the mind. It is filling the mind with the things of God and thinking on those things. Right? Meditate on these things, Paul said. Whatever is pure, whatever is good, what is, whatever is holy, think on those things. Meditate on those things. So meditation is not the emptying of the mind. It is the filling of the mind of the things of God. And so that's what the psalmist says. Meditate on these things. Think on these things. Reflect on these things. Be still and think about who God is in your life. Pray. If, if you're being, if you're in the midst of like crazy temptation, you feel like there's spiritual attack in your life everywhere you go and just like, man, I, I can't escape it. Take a moment to be still and know that he's God. You win. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you. So you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have anything to be scared of. In fact, you can tell the devil to tell him where to go. You know, in a nice, you know, not in like a non-Christian way, but like, in, you know what I mean? Like, get away. You don't have any authority in my life anymore. I don't belong to you anymore. I have a new king. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of where we are in, in, this, in this text here. God is our refuge and he is our strength. A lot of people are trying to run and hide in, in, um, in a lot of different things. And what it does is only cause us more anxiety and like cause us more pain. Like, I, I'm going to run and hide in this relationship. Like, that's what I needed. I just needed a guy or I just needed a girl. Oh, my gosh. You know, I just need money. More money, more problems. Like, it, it doesn't, that's not what's going to do it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, if I could just link myself to this other sinner, then everything's going to be fine. That's what I need is a relationship. That No, that's not necessarily going to do it. That's not where we run and hide. Like, uh, and it sound, I know it sounds bad because I'm married and you're like, you're married. Like, what do you know? Listen, I'll have my wife give testimony that, that like I have not made her life easier by any means. If anything, she has had to cling to Jesus more in the last 15 years than she ever has in her entire life. And a lot of it has to do with me. Okay. So if you're thinking like, I'll just run and hide in this relationship. Or I'll just run and hide in this, in this job. And that's where I'm going to find security here. And I'm going to find security in that. I mean, whatever. Eventually it crumbles or it doesn't measure up to the expectation. And so where, where do we run and hide? When we're being attacked. When we're going through difficulty. The psalmist says, God is my refuge. He is my strength. And in times where I am in trouble. And his help, his, his refuge, his strength is greater and stronger than any other trouble that can come against me. Like, if I'm in, this, I'm in the midst of a storm and going through a trial, his help, his strength, his, his refuge is always greater. It's always greater. That's the point of this song. So let's pray.